Faith, from the sermon series, Faith Foundations, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. Today we're going to talk about faith, and we've been in this series called Faith Foundations, and our focus over the next several weeks is really to talk and focus on the pillars of Christianity. And faith is a real important topic to talk about because sometimes faith can be really like an abstract thought. It's hard to really make sense of faith sometimes because I think it's hard enough to have faith in people that you see and touch, but can you think about having faith in somebody that you cannot see and that you cannot touch, right? And we also live in a culture today where we use that word faith so loosely, don't we? We use it all the time. We say stuff like, I have faith that my dog is not going to poop in the house today, right? Like we say stuff like that. We say, I have faith you know, that my father or my dad or my husband is going to fall in love with BTS or things like that. And so like we say things, we say, I have faith that my car is not going to break down. I have faith that the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I have faith that the Mets are going to win the World Series. I had more faith recently that the Mets are going to win the World Series than the Yankees. But over the last weekend, Mets losing two, two, two games in a row with Atlanta Braves. I'm not sure anymore. But we have faith. We say those things all the time. But do you ever think about what does faith really mean? What does faith really look like? I think typically for a lot of us, because we've grown up in the church, sometimes we think faith is sort of like a systematic theology. Like some people will say, are you a Wesleyan? Are you a Calvinist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Catholic, right? Are you more conservative? Are you more liberal? And we think that these sort of this theological or systems of theology really encapsulate what faith is really about. But that's really not what faith is. When I was in seminary, my professor said this. He taught this in a class. He said, if your theology in God does not impact the way you live your life, guess what? It's not real theology. And it's the same way with faith. Listen, hear me on this. This is really important. If your faith in Jesus Christ doesn't impact how you live your life, you don't really have faith in God. You just don't. It has to impact how you're going to live your life. It really does. And so what is faith then? What does faith mean? The theological definition of faith is really summed up in three words. It's trust, confidence, reliance. That's what faith is. Faith is you getting to the point in your life where you say there's nobody on this planet that I trust more than Jesus Christ. That's faith. That when you can get there, you really are believing and having faith in God. Faith is when you say I have full confidence in Jesus Christ. That there's nobody else in this world that I have more confidence in than Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that's a progression. You'll get there one day. But that's where it is. That's where faith lies. Faith is about you saying, I rely upon God more than anything else. And so that's what faith is really about. And sometimes in the English vernacular, we think faith and belief are two separate words. But actually in the Greek, they're the same. They come from the same root word. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about faith. We're going to find out what faithfulness really looks like by focusing on the teaching of Jesus. And I think some of you are going to be surprised how we define faith, because we're not going to make it this abstract thought. It's actually going to be concrete that you're going to be able to grab onto today, that you're going to be able to apply to your life if you're really serious about having confidence, if you're really serious about trusting, and if you're really serious about relying upon Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How will we begin to do that? Turn with me to Matthew 25. We're going to look at verses 14 to 30. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Now, this chapter is a parable of, there's three parables here, and this one that we're going to be, we're going to focus on two of the three, but this one we're going to focus on is called the parable of the talents, it says in your translation, or it says the talents or the parable of the gold, 
bags of gold. And one bag of gold is equivalent to 20 years worth of work. So what that means is that if you make $100,000 a year, just do the math, it's $2 million, all right? I did the math. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's correct, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I love that. And share in your master's happiness. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold, master, he said, I knew you're a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I return, I would receive back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, this is the word of God. Can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? So God, we come to you today. This is a heavy text, but God, I pray that you'll help us to really understand what faith is. That it's not a systematic theology but God, that it should inform how we live our lives. God, I pray for the young ones here today. I don't know where they are in terms of how they think about faith in you, but I pray that today they will have a transformational day, that they would dedicate the rest of their lives trying to grow and nurture the gift that you have given to them, which is faith. And so God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray God that would indeed be pleasing unto you and it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. What do you see in this parable? What you see is this dissecting of what faith really is, all right? What faith really is. See, faith isn't sort of this theological thing, but it's actually something that's very concrete. It's not something that's abstract, but it's actually concrete. How do you and I get to a place where we can begin to really trust in Jesus, where we can grow in confidence in him, and where we could really learn to rely upon him? Because don't you meet people who say, oh, I have faith in Jesus. Don't you meet some people and you're just like, how do you believe in Jesus like this? Like this is insane that you can believe in Jesus like this because I wouldn't be able to do it. Like it's just an insane kind of faith. How do you get there? The first thing we learned in this passage is simply this. Faith is about ownership. Faith is ownership. You got to get to a place where you can say, listen, I'm going to take ownership of my faith. 
Faith isn't something that you just sort of assume and take on. Faith is something that you actually say, I'm going to take ownership on. Because when you look at this last servant, the owner condemns him. The master condemns him. What does he condemn him for? He condemns him because he doesn't take responsibility and ownership for what he's given to him. That's what he condemns him on. All right? Now, I hear this all the time. People will say many times, they'll say, you know what? I don't have much faith, so I'm not going to do certain things that God may be calling me to do. I just need to grow in a little bit more faith before I do that. Right? Some of us will say, oh, I'll never do that. There's no way I can do this. I don't have enough faith. Man, that's baloney. That's an excuse at the end of the day. Because it says in this passage, look at what it says in verse 15. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So what that teaches us is this. God will never give you something that's beyond your ability. God will never call you to do something with your faith that is going to be beyond your ability. He will always give you something to do, a task, where he will help you to grow in your faith that is always within your abilities. But the reality is for a lot of us, we always think it's beyond our abilities. And God will stretch you. He definitely will. But God knows you better than you know yourself. Do you know that? Do you believe that God created you? Can I get an amen to that? God created you. So if God created you, God knows you better than you know yourself. And you have to have faith in that. God has given you certain abilities and you got to be able to take ownership of it, particularly your faith. He's given all of you faith and he wants you to take full ownership of it. God knows us best. And what might seem to be impossible for you, understand that if God calls you to do it, it is possible because you and I serve a God of the impossible. Amen? We serve a God of the impossible and so we can do it. You and I can all do it. I want to take a poll this morning. I've done this before, all right? And I bet you a lot of you are going to raise your hands. How many of you in this room grew up where your parents were Christians or your grandparents were Christians? Can I see your hands? Can you raise it up really high? How many of you? How many of you? Okay, that's probably the majority of us in this room. You can put your hands down. Guess what? You're in a lot of danger. You're in a very precarious situation. You want to know why? A bunch of Christian sociologists got together many years and they've done the social studies on Christians. And they've learned that there's a difference between Christians who've inherited their faith from their parents versus those Christians who've actually taken ownership of their faith. There's a difference, Metro. And what the difference is simply is this, whenever you encounter a hardship in your life, what they've learned is that those who've inherited their faith, what they'll do is they'll say, God, you know what? Forget you. I don't want anything to do with you anymore, God. Why is that? Because the faith was never yours. It was your parents' faith. You just kind of assumed it. You just kind of took it on, but you never really grabbed it. You never really took ownership of it. And hear me well, young people, for those who are in youth group or in middle school, all of us in this room, you've been given a gift. And that gift is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does God want you to do with that gift? He wants you to take it, and he wants you to take ownership of it that you would thank your parents and say, mom, dad, thank you for allowing me to grow up in a Christian home, but I got this now. This is my faith, that you would get to that place. You see, when we first started this church, we were really, all of us were young. I was 29 years old. We had our, our church slogan was, this ain't your mama's church, <laughs> right? And some people were like, well, that's not right. My mom should be able to come to this church, right? But it's a hyperbole. We're not saying your moms are not allowed to come to this church. What we're trying to say is this. We want to thank our parents for the Christian sort of heritage that we came from. But we want to tell them, thank you. 
I got this now. This is my faith. I am not going to perpetuate just how my mom and dad expressed their faith in God. I'm going to take full ownership of my faith. All right? And so I have kids. I have three kids that have inherited their faith from their parents, from me and Jenny. Now there are two of them are adults. One of them is still in high school. He's a junior in high school. And what I have to do as a parent is I got to pray, but I got to pray that God will put them in positions in their life where they will begin to take ownership of their faith. And what that means, hear me on this, parents, you got to let your kids suffer. You got to let them get to places where they're going to go through hardships. You can't coddle them and protect them so they won't suffer. Because part of how they take ownership of their faith is when you're going to let yourself suffer for the sake of God and Jesus Christ. Amen? We got to put our kids in those places. You got to give them the freedom to explore their faith and not sort of force them to believe in the kind of way you believe it. Because our kids might decide to believe in Jesus in a way that's completely more innovative than the way we do it. And we got to be okay with that because it's not, it's their faith. It's not my faith anymore. We have to be okay with that. Can you imagine like 50 years ago when somebody was playing the drums in the church? What that did to the church, that divided the church. Why? Because the parents were saying, that's from the devil. Rolling Stones does this. The Beatles do this. We don't do this in church. We have organs. We have hymns. We don't sing and play the drums. We were trying to figure out more innovative ways in how we engage with God. And for you young people, I just want you to know you have the freedom to engage. Figure it out. Take ownership. And don't be afraid when it gets hard. Parents, we've got to let our kids get to a place where not only do we want them to get baptized, which is important, but more importantly, we've got to pray and be open to them, taking steps in their faith where they could begin to take ownership of it. And if you really want to take ownership of your faith, you got to be open to being uncomfortable. You see, the reason why you say you lack faith isn't because you really lack faith. You know what you lack? You lack the tolerance for discomfort. You don't want to be uncomfortable. You're like, you know what? God is like, I, I don't have enough faith because you think faith is sort of, you believe in Jesus and there should be discomfort being exempt. No, discomfort is always a part of faith. Hardship, God stretching you is always a part of it. And so we have to be willing to put ourselves in that position and we have to be okay by letting our children be put in those positions so that they can go, grow, and learn to take ownership of their faith. David Hosang this week when I was preaching the sermon to the staff, he said this, he said, inherited faith, Peter, is fake faith. That's pretty hard. If you just get to the place where you've inherited your faith from your parents and you've never gotten to the place where you're saying, this is my faith, I own this now, you're not going to make it. Because whenever a hardship comes into your life, and it will, hardships will always come into your life because we live in a very broken world, you're not gonna, you're gonna, your faith is going to weaken. You're going to start to blame God for your misfortunes. People who've taken ownership of their faith, sociologists have studied, when they go through hardships, you know what happens to them? Their faith grows deeper in God. They trust in him more. They have more confidence in him and they rely more upon him. That's the difference between those who've taken ownership of their faith and those who actually inherited their faith from their parents. And I hope that we can get there. Faithfulness, being a faithful person, growing in faith, the first thing we learn is about ownership. Will you take ownership of it? Will you thank and honor your parents for, for raising you in a Christian home? But will you now begin to explore and say, how can I make this faith mine? How can I take ownership of it? You got to be open to discomfort. 
you got to be open to letting God put you in places where you're just not too comfortable anymore. All right? That's what you got to be willing to do. The second thing we learn in this passage, faith grapples with fear, but then it takes the leap. Faith grapples with fear, but then it takes the leap. Listen, when you're open to discomfort, all right, what's going to happen is that you're going to experience fear. You can count on it. It's part of it. In fact, if God is calling you to do something and you're not experiencing any fear, then God is probably not calling you to do it. It's not God's size enough. When God is calling you to do this, listen, it is within your abilities, but a lot of times you're going to be like, I don't know if I can do this. This is too crazy, God. I don't know if you're calling me to really do this. But you are to grapple with that fear and then take the leap. That's the goal, right? Because what the servant didn't do, he didn't do that. What did his fear do? It paralyzed him where he hid the treasure in the ground. Look at what it says in verse 25. The servant said, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And I want you to pay attention to what the master says to him. The master doesn't say, it's not your fear. What did he call him? He said, you are lazy. You're lazy. That's why you hid it. It's not because you were really afraid. It's because you're lazy to be uncomfortable. You're lazy to take a risk. You're lazy to trust in me. You're lazy because you don't have confidence in me. You're lazy and that's why you don't rely upon me. We have to be willing to do that. You've got to grapple with fear because faith, that's normative, but you've got to be willing to take the leap. Gordon McKinsey works for Hallmark. And now you guys know Hallmark cards, right? That's, uh, he's, his title at Hallmark was called The Creative Paradox. And he has a really interesting way of looking at the world. And what he did one year was that he toured the country. He visited all these elementary schools. And at these elementary schools, he would go there and he'll go to first grade class. And he'll say it'll be a group of 30 kids. And he'll go into those classes. You remember when you were in first grade? I mean, you guys, you kids probably remember. Like when you go into the classroom, there's all these pictures hanging up on the wall. And they're all done and created by the students. And so Gordon McKenzie would go into the classroom at first grade. And he'll say, wow, look at all these pictures. Look at these designs. Look at these beautiful colors that you guys painted. And then he said, I bet there's a lot of artists in here. And then he'll say, how many of you in this room are artists? And he said, every one of those 30 kids, they'll all jump out of their seats and they'll jump up in the air, failing, putting their arms up in the air and they'll say, oh, 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 I'm an artist, I'm an artist. Never being ashamed that they are. Then he said, he'll go to second grade, he'll say the same thing but only 15 out of 30 would raise their hand. And then he'll go to third grade, and then about 10 out of 30 would raise their hand. And he said, by the time he got to the sixth grade, he said one or two kids would sheepishly raise their hand because they didn't want their friends to know that they're closet artists. And he said, you know what? He discovered something. He said, the American education system has suppressed the creative genius in our students. Because when they're young, they just believed there were this this epitome of creativity and that God gave them this gift of creativity. But then as they get older, it's been suppressed. And as they become more and more suppressed, they're now ashamed to embrace a beautiful gift in which they have. And I thought about that. I said, man, that is so similar to how we deal with God. Because I bet there was a time in your life, if you really look at your life, there was a time where your faith was barbaric. Your faith was untamed. It was non-domesticated. You were willing to do anything for Jesus Christ. You said, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. What do you want me to do, God? I'll do it, right? There was a time where your faith was that raw, that barbaric, that untamed. But then what happens over time? Life happens, doesn't it? 
You get married and you have some kids and then there's some real bills to pay. And then all of a sudden when this faith was so untamed and barbaric, becomes so suburbanized and domesticated and this beautiful, comfortable little faith where you put God in a box and say, God, as long as you stay in this box, you and I are very, very good. But don't ever get out of here because if it does, then you and I are going to have a problem. What's happened to you? Why have you lost trust in God? Why don't you have full confidence in him? Why have you lost the ability to rely upon him? You see, every single one of us in this room, we have a God-sized vacuum in our heart. And you know what it does? It's saying every day, trust me. And who's me? It's Jesus Christ. You can trust in him. He's created this world. He's ordered this world. You can trust in him. But what happens over time is that we begin to sort of replace God for me. And we actually just trust in ourselves. We trust in our abilities. We trust in our education. We trust in our smarts and our wits. We trust in money and success. And we forget about God. And you know what we realize? And I know you know this. It just doesn't satisfy, man. No matter how much you try to trust yourself, no matter how much you try to do it your way, and even if you have some success in it, it just doesn't satisfy. We got to get to a place where you grapple with this fear. And you're saying, God, I'm no longer going to just domesticate my faith anymore. I'm no longer just going to go to you when I need you. But I'm going to truly believe in the kind of God you are. That you're going to put me outside of my comfort zone. And then I'll just do whatever it is you call me to do. God wants you to grapple with the fear. But then he wants you to take the leap. But that leap isn't into darkness. It just means you're not going to know the outcome. For so many of you, you don't want to take a step of faith if God doesn't show you the outcome. But if that's the case, you don't really have faith. Because why do you need faith if you already know the outcome? God wants you to trust in him and submit the outcome to him. That's faith. Look at what it says in John 8, 12. I love this. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You're not going to know the outcome, but you know what you're going to know? You're going to have the light of Jesus Christ. And he's going to direct and guide you one step at a time as he leads you a certain way. Some of you have forgotten the calling God has placed on your life. And I pray, I pray to God today that you re-accept it and you go for whatever it is God has called you to do with your life. That you wouldn't use your circumstances, you wouldn't use your fear as an excuse to say, I'm not going to have faith in you, God, because God wants you to. Now, let me give you some encouragement because I struggle with faith. Some of you think, like, I, I'm, I'm really good with this. I don't. I don't have the gift of faith. I've had to work so hard over the years to grow in faith. Really, I've had to. I've had so much fear when God calls me to do certain things. So what's helped me the, over the years? Let me give you four things that's really helped me over the years to really grow in faith so that I can take ownership of it, but I can also grapple with the fear and just take the leap. The first thing is this. I pray. I pray that God will grow my faith. you got to pray that God grows your faith. If you're not going to pray that God grows your faith, you're not going to grow in your faith. And I know why some of you don't pray that God grows your faith, because you're smart enough to know that when you pray that prayer, there's going to be some hardships coming your way. God is going to stretch you, but that's okay. Because your faith is never going to grow. Like, listen, I wish I could stay in shape. I wish I could be healthy by just eating everything I want to eat without having any filters and never working out. I wish it was that easy. But if you want to be healthy, you got to work out and eat right, right? It's just how faith works. If you want to be healthy faith-wise, if you want to grow in your faith, you need to work out. 
You need to pray that God stretches your faith. When was the last time you actually asked God to stretch your faith? Now listen, when you pray this prayer, what you got to pay attention to is obedience. You got to really obey because if God is telling you to lead a Bible study group maybe in this church and you're too afraid to do it and he tells you to do this and you're praying that God will grow your faith and you don't do it, you don't obey what God tells you, your faith will never grow. You can pray till you're blue in the face and say, God, grow my faith. Your faith's just not going to grow. You got to do it. Like those two other servants, they invested the money. They did something. You can't just hide the thing in the ground and just say, I'm going to let the gift you've given me and put it in the ground and let nobody see it. You got to take the step. Pay attention to obedience. The other thing you got to do is you got to develop eyes of faith by reflecting on your past. Take a look at the inventory. Take an inventory of your life. See how faithful God has been over the years. See how faithful God has been since birth to now and how God has been able to bring you to the place where you are today. Because if you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start developing eyes of faith so that when God calls you to do certain things with your life, all you have to do is look back before you take the leap. Because you'll realize how much God has been there for you in the past. That's all I have to do. All I have to do is take a look at my past and know how God has been faithful literally in my life since birth. Growing up in a home when there was a lot of physical abuse. Dealing with the realities of that and how that made me such an insecure, scared little boy. And how God somehow found me in 10th grade. I came to know Jesus Christ. I became a radical for him, right? And then all of a sudden I went to college. I felt like God was calling me to ministry. And then all of a sudden I said, no, 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 no. I heard him wrong because I'm too sinful. I struggle with too many sins, just like you. God doesn't want me to do this. And then finally when I graduated from college, I worked four years in the marketplace. And then God says, no, I have called you to do this. Not because you can do it, but I called you because I know you can't. So go into ministry. And so I quit my job and I go. And while I'm there, God gives me a vision for Metro Community Church. And I'm just like, there's no way I could do this, God. That's crazy. Like I have no ministry experience. You want me to go plant an adult church right from seminary? That doesn't happen. My friends looked at me in seminary and they're like, that doesn't happen. Like who do you think you are? You grapple with the fear and you take the look. So if all, you take the leap. So all I have to do is that if God is calling me to do certain things with my life, I just have to look back. Because I have eyes of faith. God has taken me through the ups and the downs of life. And he's been there with me. And I can take that. And that's key. we got to develop eyes of faith. The other thing that helps me is I remember who God is. What's the kind of God? Who's the kind of God you serve today? Do you serve a God that's like a little genie in a bottle that you rub once in a while when you need him so he can grant your wishes? Is that the kind of God you serve? If that's the kind of God you serve, then you're not going to have much faith. But if you serve a God who created this world, who created the universe and put the stars in its place, and the Bible says even those the number of hairs that are on your head, then you can have a little bit of faith today. What kind of God do you serve? Who do you believe in today? That's key. You've got to remember who God is. And then the last thing that really helps me is you've got to hear God's voice. You've got to hear God's voice because when you hear God speak to you, you can take that to the bank and you can go. How do you let God speak to you? The best way. Read the Bible. Not read, meditate on it. God will speak to you as you read the scriptures, as you just say, God, what do you want me to do here? What do you like in this passage? God will begin to speak to you through the scriptures. And when God speaks to you through the Bible, that's, you know, you meet some of those people, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, why does this person like the Bible so much? Sometimes you even think they're a little weird. Because they talk about the Bible in a way that's never happened to you. You know why that happens? Because you have never heard God's voice as you read the Bible. Those people who are crazy about the word, the reason why they need it is because they hear God's voice. 
I read the Bible for a living. I have to. It's my job. But I promise you, I read the Bible when it's not, when I don't just read the Bible when I have to preach. You know why I read the Bible every day? Because if I don't hear God's voice, being a pastor in this life is too hard. I need to hear God's voice. I need to put myself in a position where I could hear the voice of God. And that's why the Bible means so much to me. If you hear the voice of God, you're going to be able to grapple with that fear and take that leap. You begin to take ownership of your faith. Why wouldn't you want to put yourself in those positions? Faith is about ownership. Faith is about you grappling with the fear and taking the leap. The last thing that we learn about faith is serving the least, the last, and the lost. Faith is about serving the least, the last, and the lost. So like I said, Matthew 25 is the, they call it the eschatological chapter. It's about the end times. There are three parables in there. The first parable is about the parable of the bridesmaids. And then the second one is the parable of the talents that we just looked at. But the third one is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And the image is this. Jesus Christ comes back. And this is what's going to happen in the second coming. All right, if you don't know this, we're going to read it. And you're going to know what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Jesus will come back one day. Do you believe that? Maybe not in your lifetime, but he will come back, all right? He might come back any day now. We don't know. Jesus says, I'll come like a thief in the night. But when he does come back, he's going to gather all the nations together, and he's going to judge people. And that's called the great judgment day. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, all right? That's what it is. In an Agarian culture in the first century, they would really understand this image here. Everyone is coming together, and Jesus now judges every single person on this earth. Look what it says in verse 31 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, I love it, just the scene, it's like Lord of the Rings, right? Jesus coming with all of his angels coming with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then, he's, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me just give you the scenario here. This is the only description that we find in the Bible of how Jesus is going to judge us whether we, will, whether we had faith in him or not. The great judgment day that we see in the second coming, he's going to use one thing to measure whether you had faith in him or not. It's not going to be how great your theology is. It's not going to be how many times you've come to church on Sundays. It's not going to even be if your parents were pastors or elders in the church. 
It's not going to even be about if you've actually led in the church. How is he going to determine whether you actually have faith in him? In this passage, Jesus says how God is going to evaluate, how he's going to evaluate, evaluate whether you go to heaven or hell is based upon how you've served the poor and the oppressed. The least, the last, and the lost. And so you see, this is not a political thing. We've been a part, if you've been a part of this church for a while, sometimes I've heard people saying, why is Metro so political? Why are we so much about justice, advocacy, and compassion? It's not political. It's about our faith. We want to grow in our faith. And if you and I want to be faithful to Jesus Christ, Jesus says you have to serve the least, the last, and the lost. You can't have it any other way. You see, what I love about this, Jesus takes it even further. He says, it's not about just serving them, but when you serve them, you need to know you're going to meet me. Because he says, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do it unto me. You see, the truth is, all of you, and as you get older, kids, you're going to pick who you think you can meet Jesus through. You're going to say, oh, it's going to be T.D. Jakes. It's going to be, you know, the speaker or an author or, or somebody who leads worship really well, right? Carrie Job or somebody like that. You're going to pick these people whom you think you're going to connect Jesus, that you can meet Jesus to. Jesus doesn't give you that option. He says, if you really want to serve me, if you want to grow in your faith, you got to serve the least, the last, and the lost. I love that. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. A lot of you, you think like growing in faith, or some of you just want to get lost in God's love. And I get that. Those are good moments when you get lost in God's love. But when you serve the least, the last, and the lost, you know what? You're going to need faith. You're going to need to rely upon the Lord. And you're going to truly need faith. Here's the thing. Here's the kicker. You're going to truly need faith if you're going to be able to see Jesus through them. And that's what Jesus says. He says, when you serve the least, the last, and the lost, you're going to be with me. You're going to be in my presence. That's what faith is all about. You see, it's not so abstract anymore. Faith is actually very concrete. It's not something that you can just say, well, it's a theology. No, it's actually about doing. Because in James, it says faith without works is what? It's dead. It's meaningless. So God wants you to serve the least, the last, and lost because when he comes back on judgment day, he's going to ask, does this person have faith in me? I'm going to determine whether he has faith, on me, faith in me, whether he loves and he served the least, the last, and the lost. That's why at church we have Pastor Sunita leading the justice. We call it JAC. stands for Justice, Advocacy, and Compassion Ministry. It's a great ministry, but it's not a sub-ministry. Jack's role is to have every ministry in Jack has a Jack component because it's the very heart of God. The slogan of Jack, guess what it is? It's just meet Jesus. I saw somebody who's helping out with a barbecue. He had the shirt and it's, it's a gray shirt and the back, just read it, it says meet Jesus. That's our slogan. Because when you serve the least, the last, and the lost, you do. Now, I think all of us, we love the idea of advocating for those who need advocacy. I think for those, we love this idea of showing compassion to those who need compassion. But a lot of us in the church over the years, what I've learned, Christians don't like justice. Justice is very different because justice is about equity. And if I'm just going to be honest, in the church, especially in the church, but also in the world in which we live in today, particularly this country, we don't care much about equity and talking about this thing of racial justice. Because justice, in order for us to really be about it, we got to ask the question, how have I been complicit in the injustice? That's why we don't like talking about it. Because we all failed. We've all fallen in this area of 
succumbing and perpetuating injustices in some way. And because this is a church of diversity, we have to be willing to go there. We have to be willing to talk through this and figure out ways where we can come together and learn to truly be brothers and sisters in Christ. Not ignoring how God's made us, but really looking and trying to love each other in community. So if this is your first time with us today, I just want you to know Metro is going to be a, a challenging church for you to be about. Because this is what we're about here at this church. We're about serving the least, the last, and the lost. Serving them in every way, but also serving them and believing truly that when we do this, we're actually meeting Jesus in a powerful way. St. Francis of Assisi says this. He says that when you serve the poor and the oppressed, he says that you'll have this eerie awareness that Jesus is looking right back at you. He says that. When you stare into the eyes of humility, you cannot help but get more humbled. You really can't. And so I encourage you to get involved. And they made the announcement this week, but end of the month, October 30th, we're going to have the open store. The city of Englewood loves what we're doing. They're saying, hey, can we be a part of this with you? Can we partner together? And so we're partnering at McKay Park, and there's going to be thousands of people that come through on October 30th. Open stores like our flea market that we have, and anyone in the city can come, and they can take whatever they need for the winter. And so I hope that you'll not only donate, but you'll be a part of the team that helps. We have Trunk or Treat, kids from Englewood, kids from other towns come. And hopefully you can volunteer your trunk and you can decorate it. Some of you are amazing at it. Like, I want to participate in it when I see it because it's so amazing. And I know for some of you, may, that, that, those dates may not work out for you. So maybe just donate then. But I want to encourage you to connect with Sunita. You can do that on the communication card. Just say, if you look down, it says, please send me more information. You can say, you can just check off or click on, please send me more information about Jack, Justice, Advocacy, and Compassion, and Sunita will get back to you. All right? I don't know if you know this, but we have a program called Metro Life. We have a community center here in this church called Metro Community Center, and Sunita oversees it. But um, Michael W. Smith came up with this Metro Life program. It's basically a life-on-life -life mentoring program. And they mentor them for four years, from freshman year to senior year. And Steve Bang, this past June, he's worked with these freshman kids for the past four years, 12 of them. All 12 of them graduated high school, and they also went off to college and, or trade school. Now, that's amazing in and of itself. But the greatest thing is that he poured into them. They need somebody to connect with. Some of you served in that as well. And it's this holistic way of serving people. And now he's got a new fresh group of 12 uh, uh, of, of freshmen. Michael W. Smith has a group of sophomores. And they keep doing this. They work with these kids all the way through till they graduate. But it's not just to get them to graduate and go to college, but it's to help them to be men and women living out the Imago Dei. It's a beautiful thing. We're a part of that. You get to be a part of that. And so that's a beautiful thing. Our special needs ministry under Pastor Shirley's uh, leadership, it's a phenomenal ministry. Right? We live in a society today that says, you know what, the special needs community are misfits. They need to be marginalized. They don't really matter. That's the world in which we live in. But at Metro, we believe they're vital to our community. You see, the reality is all of us are misfits. You're all a misfit. And if I can just say it, don't be offended. You are the least, the last, and the lost. The moment you think you're not, You'll never be able to love and serve people. Our special needs community are people that we absolutely need to be a part of our church. We need them to help us lead this movement. Maybe you guys can get involved in being a part of that. Because they're doing so many wonderful things for our special needs community. And God's bringing more families to our church with kids with special needs. And that's a wonderful opportunity for you to serve. Zemele, we started an organization many years ago called Zemele in South Africa. Where it, stands, where it means we're standing on our own two feet. 
I just got word this week that Zamele is serving 5,800 heads of households. Every home has anywhere between seven, yep. Every home has anywhere between seven to 10 people. Folks, if you do the math, that's close, that's probably 30,000 people. Do you realize that there's not even 30,000 people that live in Englewood? And Englewood's a huge city. They're making a macro impact. When I think about going with us, Angie leads this movement here, Zamela USA, Angie Bay at our church. We're not going this next year. We're planning a trip. Go and check out what God's doing. Meet Jesus in South Africa and then come back and become an ambassador. Some of you actually have done that, but you've stopped becoming an ambassador. I hope that God will re- sort of ignite something in your heart today to remind you about what's going on over there. God's doing some amazing stuff there. I talked to Scott Kwok. He's a, he used to be a partner in this church and he was on staff. And he and Christina, his wife, they've been in Thailand. And they set up coffee shops and they set business and they hire women in the neighborhoods and hoping that they give them an alternative way to make an income other than just working in the sex industry. And it's beautiful because I talked to him last week and he said that they, currently they're employing 30 women, which is great. And he said that... Um, you know, like because our church last year, we bought them a, a commercial coffee roaster. They're roasting all their beans, so they're able to expand a lot quicker. They're working on their third location now. And it's really wonderful, right? And so he's got these 30 women that he's employed off the streets, and they're giving them an alternative to make extra income, and he's got to hire more people. God's doing some amazing things. And a businessman approached him recently and said, you should commercialize these coffee beans because you guys are doing a really good job. And so there are ways to make more income to continue to help the women there in Thailand. Why don't you come out? We're going to go out next November probably and go out on a trip to Thailand and see what God's doing there. And maybe you can be a part of that. There's so many ways in how you can get involved in connecting and serving the least, the last, and the lost in this church. Will you do it? Will you do it not because you want to feel good because that's the American way. That's not why you, you don't do it for you. This is not about you. You do it so that you can meet Jesus. You do it because when you serve them, you don't serve them out of a sense of noble obligation like you're bringing Jesus to them. You serve them out of a sense of reverence because Jesus is already there. And you worship him because of that. That's why he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. You see, faith is not so abstract anymore. It's actually concrete. It's tangible. Faith is about ownership. Faith is about grappling with the fear, taking the leap. And faith is about serving the least, the last, and the lost. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. I just want you to go to God, and I don't know how he spoke to you today, but for some of you, maybe you've just inherited your faith. You haven't taken that step to taking ownership. And if you want to take ownership, make that commitment. Pray that God would grow your faith. Pray that you would be obedient and that you would just grow in trust and confidence and reliance upon him because that's what faith really is. So why don't you just go to him right now and I'll close this in prayer.
God, for all those people today, from the youngest to the oldest in this room, and for those who are watching, who have realized that they've just inherited their faith from their parents, but they have not taken ownership of their faith. God, I pray that you'd speak to them. And God, that you would answer their prayer for them to want to grow deeper in their faith in you. God, I pray that you would show yourself strong in their lives in such a way, God, that they would know that you are worthy of their trust. You are worthy of their confidence. You are worthy of their reliance on you. And so God, help them to obey you. Because when we obey you, what's happening is just not we're, we're being a good Christian. No, but we're setting ourselves free from our sinful nature. That's the most beautiful thing about obedience. We're set free because the truth will set us free. You will set us free when we learn to obey you. And I pray for those in this room, God, who might have forgotten. Maybe when they were in high school or college or maybe just right after college. You've called them to do something with their lives, but they've forgotten it. Maybe because life happens. God, I pray that they surrender to you right now. And they would submit to what it is that you've called them to do. And God, that you would ignite a spark, a passion, a sense of even fear and give them the sort of the butterflies in their stomach, knowing, God, that this is so beyond them, but may they just trust in you. Would you pave the way? Would you make everything happen that's necessary for them to take this step of faith? So, God, that they can live their life and not just exist, but they can truly live it with you. God, would you be with our church? Help us to truly have faith. Help us to grow and to learn so that we can trust in you, have confidence, and reliance upon you. It's in your name that I pray.